0: It's really a treat to be with y'all. It's not a holiday weekend. I feel like I usually get brought in on holiday weekends when the pastors want to take a, a longer weekend. More. Fourth, of Ju- Fourth of July, Labor Day. Uh, so I'm glad to be here on a weekend It's not a holiday. It's a, a weekend for your first morning service. So that's the, that's the pro. I'm getting to preach on an exciting day this morning. On, I'm preaching 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2. And in 2 Timothy 2.2, he shifts from a message of guarding the gospel to suffering for the gospel. So the pro is I'm preaching on an exciting new day, the con is suffering. So it's 9 o'clock in the morning, and we're going to be talking about suffering. So here we go. Second uh, Timothy 2, starting in verse 1, and remind you, this is Paul's letter to Timothy, his last letter. You then, my child, strengthen by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain salvation as in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And the saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are fa- he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The word of the Lord. Thanks Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it meets us where we're at. We thank you for the strength that it gives our hearts hope. And I pray for strength for myself, Lord. I pray you give me grace to deliver this message. And I pray for strength here at Hope, Lord, um, that they would have strength to hear it. They'd have strength to apply. And by your grace, they would continue to follow you, that you would keep them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So on no- November 14, 1956, at Hutchington Street Baptist Church in Montgomery, Emma, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., he stood up to speak. And the crowd he was addressing that night was a crowd that has been worn out. They had spent the last 11 months in the throes of the Montgomery bus boycott. And I don't know how much you know about the Montgomery bus boycott, but this was the foundation of the Civil Rights Movement. They had spent 11 months of walking instead of riding. They had spent 11 months of planning and organizing and constant stress. 11 months of getting mocked and many beaten. And what do you say to a people that's going through that? What do you say to a people that are constantly facing hardship And you know they will continue constantly face hardship here's what dr. King said that evening he said I want to urge you this evening to not give up that doesn't mean that when the bus problem is solved all problems are solved no there's gonna be much more problems but we must keep going we must keep on keeping on which is the title of my sermon keep on keeping on where did King get those words I think he got him from the wall. Because King's message in Montgomery that night is the Apostle Paul's message in 2 Timothy. As you all know, because you've been going through it this summer. And Jared spoke about this theme last week. He talked about how the theme of second is toward endurance, it's a call to perseverance, to keep going despite the opposition that Timothy is most definitely going to face. And 2,000 years later, here we are at Hope Presbyterian Church. And nothing has changed. When you try to do the work of God in this world, you will face opposition and you will absolutely be tempted to give up. So what do you do when that happens? What do you do when you're suffering and you don't know what to do? In the words of Dr. King, how do you keep on keeping on? Well, Paul gives Timothy four reminders to help him persevere this morning. These are words to keep Timothy, and my prayer for you is that they will keep you as well. And here's the four points, and I promise, there, there are four points this morning, but I promise they're all brief. First, you will need strength. Second, you will suffer. Third, a Savior. And fourth, in the end, you'll end up singing. So we'll start with, you need strength this morning. I'm missing a page of my notes, sorry. Let me get just a second here. The first point is you will need strength, and you see that in verse one and two. It says you will need strength. Is it right there? No, it's okay. Um, I'm so sorry. And the reason, the reason Timothy needs strength this morning, you, you, you see it in the passage. He says, you will need strength. And he, so he has spent 2 Timothy 1 talking about the task that is at hand. He has told Timothy that he must guard the gospel. That is a task that Timothy has been given. And that's a hard task, to take on from the Apostle Paul what he has been given, to, to guard the gospel. And you see it repeated there in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2 to take what he has been given and pass it on to faithful witnesses. And there's not enough strength in the world to begin to face what Timothy is facing. And you might this morning, think about what Timothy is under right now. The Apostle Paul has been the one that has been carrying the gospel forward. The Apostle Paul is in prison. He is about to face his death, and that's for Timothy. Also, the Emperor Nero is on the rise persecuting Christians. One author said that the Christian faith in human terms is about to be annihilated. It's about to be taken out, humanly speaking. And Timothy is... because as you know, as you've been going through this in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Timothy is comparatively younger. He is in his 30s, maybe 40s. He is sickly. He is not very strong physically. And we know that he is rather timid. Personality is not one of boldness, but one of shrinking back. And Paul tells him in all of this, I want you to take the gospel I've been given forward. And that's a scary thing for Timothy. What he is being called to feel more than what he's actually capable of. And that's where you might be this morning. And that's why it's very easy to want to give up. Because the, thing God, the things God calls us to feel more than what we're capable of. What you need to know is that what he tells Timothy, how he's able to do this, how he's able to take the gospel forward, is actually in verse 1. When he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace as in Jesus Christ. And this verb, be strengthened, is passive, not active. In some translations it says be strong, but the the correct translation is to be strengthened. And that little details, Christianity, from everything else in this world, And that little detail, that to be strengthened is passive, not active, will be the only thing that can keep you going. Because you will need strength to keep going. You will need strength to persevere, but you can take heart. Because that strength does not come from inside of you, but will actually come from outside of you. It will come from Jesus Christ, who when he shows up, he gives you his grace. And there are a few verses quotable in Scripture than this, but harder to understand We quote this all the time. You then, my child, be strengthened by grace, as in Jesus. But how do you live that paradox out? How does strength actually come in our weakness? How does power come in our powerlessness? How do I get strength not by trying to be strong myself, but in actually acknowledging my need for one that's stronger than me? You know the ones that understand this paradox the most, the ones that get that strength actually comes in weakness, are not the strong, but the struggling. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said he came to heal the sick, not the well. One of the most powerful assignments I've been given during my time at seminary was from one of my counseling professors. In our class, instead of writing papers and reading books, our professor had each of us attend a local AA meeting in our town. And here's what he told us. He said, when you attend that, you'll see the love and power of God in ways that just aren't there in the church sometimes. And I didn't disbelieve him, but I thought, how in the world could this be? How do they have something that the church should have? So I called ahead and made sure it was okay for me to come. And I got there, and I was really awkward. I sat in the corner. I was scared to death. I was afraid they were going to judge me, afraid of being asked questions. But here's some things that they said during that meeting that stuck out. They said, our best thinking has got me to this point in life. And so I'm not going to be able to think my way out of my problems now. They were admitting over and over again how they had no power over their addictions. And they said time and again, they need a power greater than themselves if we're ever going to be restored. And you know what? As people talked more about their weakness, as they admitted their powerlessness, you could literally see them being strengthened. Their posture changed. Their faces started to lighten up. Their voices lifted as they admitted their weakness, not their strength. And it's incredible. A community with so much weakness would have so much success in overcoming the powers of addiction. Their, their success rate against addiction is unbelievable. And it's unbelievable because they admit their weakness. They have figured out what the Apostle Paul says here. They find their not in their own strength, but in admitting their need for strength outside themselves. Listen, if you're going to make it, if you're going to make it in this world, if you're going to make it as a follower of Christ and all the hardships that we have to face, you're going to need so much strength. But the lie of this world is that you can find that strength inside yourself. Paul tells us you need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And some force or magical thing that just automatically fixes the problems in our life, Grace is what Jesus brings to sinners and sufferers when they ask for it. Grace is Jesus showing up. It is not given apart from Him. That's why Paul says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus. When you're united to Him by faith, He gives you all His blessings. So this morning, if you are feeling weak, like Justin said in the confession, if you're feeling scared by the things God has called you to, Or if you're not a Christian in here and you're scared that God might be calling you to himself. If you're feeling weak, if you're feeling scared, if you're feeling like I cannot do what is in front of me, praise the Lord because it's exactly where you need to be. And also, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So first, you're going to need strength. Second, you will suffer. Look at verse 3. Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And this is actually the principal message of this passage. Most of the emphasis usually gets put on 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. That's the one we we remember. What was wanting Timothy to realize is that he should expect to suffer. And Jared talked a lot about this last week. He talked about the opposition that Christians will and should face in this world. And what a message to hear this morning from Paul. What a message to hear that for Timothy. Timothy, I want you to keep going. How are you going to do that? How are you going to persevere? Expect suffering. Paul even tells him what suffering he should expect. He gives three examples of that suffering: form of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And all three of these examples are people who have to suffer now for the sake of something greater later. Did you catch that? Verse four, he says, expect a su- soldier who has to sacrifice the worldly entanglements for the greater prize of pleasing their enlisting officer. They have to suffer the distractions of this world for a greater purpose. Verse 5, he says, An athlete athlete can't just do whatever they want. They have to compete according to the rules if they want to win the prize. So an athlete has to suffer. And then he says, verse 6, Expect to suffer like a farmer who has to sacrifice comfort and ease to work hard in order to get the crop. And there's a lot you can learn from each of these. That's why Paul says in verse 7, think about these things. Think them over. But here's the main point. Hopefully you know this, but if you don't know this, this is what Paul is saying. The Christian life is not a life of ease. It's a life of endurance. It's not a life of safety, but it's a life of suffering. And he wants Timothy to endure in his suffering, so he tells him, I want you to expect this. I don't want you to be surprised by this. When suffering comes, it should not throw you off guard. It is part of the expectation. How does he do that? Why does he want him to expect this? Me and Celeste have been married for a little while now. In our seven years, we've found out how much expectations matter. In fact, one of our sayings that we we found a lot is all of our frustrations actually come out of unmet expectations. Most of our frustration is not because this happened or this happened, it's because we think something else should have happened. And so last month, we decided to take the kids to Disney as a graduation, celebration, all that. And we have two kids, Joshua's two, Lydia's four, and we knew if we're gonna do Disney, we've gotta get the expectations right because Disney is where expectations go to die. (laughs) So we knew it was going to be hot. Orlando was experiencing 90, 100-degree temperatures. so we had the expectation. We knew there was going to be long lines. We knew we were going to spend $15 for a Coke. We knew kids were going to throw a fit at some point. We knew I was going to throw a fit at some point. We had all these expectations down, and the trip was going great until I locked us out of our rental car the night before Disney. That was not on the expectations. We had kind of tried to think through everything, and I did not have the expectation I was going to lock ourselves out of our rental car. And let's just say it did lead to some frustrations. Expectations matter, they really do in this life. They matter so much. And one of the things I'm afraid that American Christianity has lost is it's taking off its list of expectations that you will suffer. American Christianity does not have on its list, even though this is promised again and again in Scripture. And this needs to be remembered because many of us are tempted to give up because we don't expect to suffer. We live in a very therapeutic age that tells us everything should work for our personal comfort and happiness, including God. So when we suffer, when we face hard things, we think God is indifferent toward us. Or first, that He is against us in our suffering. When in reality, the Bible tells us that God is most with us in our suffering. For the Christian, suffering is not a sign of something wrong, but it's actually a sign of something right. It's be, that is because we are following our Savior who suffered. That's why Paul says in verse 3, share in suffering. He didn't say suffer alone. He says share in suffering because it's a way of redemption for Jesus and it will be the way for us as well. So if you're trusting in Jesus and suffering in your life right now, God is not penalizing you. That is his path toward him, toward, toward redemption, toward glory, toward everything you truly need in life. The Christian life, what you are called to will require suffering. It will cost you, and it will be worth it. Why? Why will it be worth it? That brings us to the third point. The third point is you have a Savior. Paul tells Timothy, you will suffer, and then he says, remember Christ. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, and he wants you to know two things about Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David, This is Paul's gospel, and the reason he says 9, this is why I suffered so much. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why I'm in chains. And there's a lot that can be said about Jesus, of course. But I just want to mention the two things that Paul says. Paul means by risen from the dead, descended from David. Paul is emphasizing that Jesus is both fully God and he's fully man. And that makes all the difference. He is risen from the dead, making Him fully fully God. He is descended from the man David, making Him human. His name is Jesus. That is His human name. He is also the Christ, the Messiah, the divinely appointed Savior, come for His What Paul is saying is that Jesus is fully man. The second person of the Trinity, who is eternally existed with God the Father, God the Spirit, and eternal love and bliss was born of a woman under the law experienced all the suffering and discomfort that you experience took on the wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross and so can I ask a really obvious question this morning Jesus is willing to do all of that what is Jesus not willing to do he is fully man so he is willing to do what it takes for your redemption and Jesus is fully God, like I is the second person of the Trinity who existed from all eternity, who has all authority. And as Paul said, he did not stay in the grave. But he rose from the grave, defeating death, disarming the power and rulers of this world, and is now seated at the right hand of the where he is ruling and reigning for all eternity. And so can I again ask a really obvious question? If Jesus is able to do all that, what is he not able to do? So Jesus is fully God, so he'll do what he says he will do. And he is fully man, so he is willing to do what he says he will do. And if you're going to keep going in this world, you're going to have to know both of those. That he is both able and willing in your life. He is Jesus Christ from the dead, the descendant of David. And I'll give you an example why both of those matter so much. That he is both able and willing. There's a TV show called West Wing. Some of you may have seen it. It's a political drama based in D, about life in the White House. And there's a man that works for the president named Josh Lyman. And he's been struggling with PTSD. He was shot on attack of the president early in the season. And he's been struggling, not so much physically from the gun wound, but emotionally. He can't seem to get past this. And he's struggling, but does not want help. And his boss, the White House chief of staff, Leo, knows he needs help, knows he's struggling, knows he's stuck. So he tells them this parable to convince him why he needs help. And here's what he says. There's this guy walking down the street when he falls down a hole, and the walls are so steep that he can't get out. A doctor passes by, and the guy shouts out, Hey, can you help me? The doctor writes a prescription and throws it down in the hole, and he moves on. Then a priest comes along, and the guy shouts, Father, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hole, and moves on. Then a friend walks by and says, Hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. And our guy says, Are you stupid? Now we're both down here in this hole. And the friend says, Yeah, but I've been down here before. Now I know. There's no one like Jesus Christ because there's no one else who gets down in the hole with us and can bring us out. He is willing to get in the hole with you. The holes that we make for ourselves, the holes we fall in with others, He is willing to get in. He left heaven for earth. And He is able to get you out, the only one to get you out, because He rose from the grave. The only one. And Paul tells Timothy, I know you think you can't do this, but remember Him. Keep on remembering Him, because when you're really up against it, when you're really suffering, when you're scared and you're trying to persevere, it's really easy to forget about Jesus. C.S. Lewis wrote during a really horrible time of grief and suffering in his life, after he lost his wife that he, he dearly loved, he wrote this, The chief danger most of us face is not believing in God, but to come to believe dreadful things about Him. And Paul is telling Timothy, and I'm telling you, our God is not dreadful. We know He's not dreadful because of Jesus. And if you're willing to take on the wrath of God and the cross, He is more than willing to handle whatever you can bring to Him. And if Jesus is able to take on the death of the grave and the resurrection, He is more than able to handle whatever you might bring to Him. And remembering a Savior like that, thinking about how He's able and willing, it starts to make you want to sing. Which is the final point and conclusion to remember one day you're going to end up singing. Look at verse 11. Paul says this, and this is a common theme in First and Second Timothy. The saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithful, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And if you notice, if you look in your Bibles or on the screen, this, this part of the passage is indented. It's different from other parts of the letter. And that's because there's a pattern to these words. And most scholars agree that these words were actually taken from a popular Christian hymn at the time. This was saying often in Christian worship. And so Paul is not just telling Timothy here to endure suffering, singing it. Paul is not just telling Timothy about God, he's singing about God. And I've always wondered about this. How do people in the Bible and throughout history sing in the midst of so much suffering? I don't know if you've as well. How did David sing the Psalms when people were chasing after his life? How did the early church sing after they'd been beaten and imprisoned? How did the men last week that Jared mentioned sing while they marched in for waters? How did the slaves sing their spirituals while facing the worst things of this world? How do these people sing while suffering? Well, Paul tells us this in verse 10. It says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Right before he goes into that hymn, he tells us the glory with Jesus Christ. Paul is singing because suffering might have the word for you today, but your song will have the word for eternity. You need to know if you are strengthened by His grace, if you are trusting in Jesus as your Savior, your life is headed towards singing, not suffering. Suffering is not your destiny. Singing is your destiny. Revelation 5, 9, and they sing a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, and by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. We suffer now, but we will not suffer then. Jesus' suffering led Him to glory, and if you're united to Him, so will yours. And when you know you're headed for glory, you not only want to endure in your suffering, you'll want to sing. So I don't know exactly what you're facing this morning, but if your strength is in Christ, I do know where you're headed. It is the singing, not suffering. It is the glory, not pain. It is to Jesus Christ, your Savior, who will wipe away all your tears. So I tell you with the Apostle Paul, keep going. Because if you have died with him, you will live with him. If you endure, you will also reign with him. If you deny him, he will also deny us. But if you are faithless, he remains faithful, for he will deny himself. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you help us to keep going. I pray that you help us to persevere. Lord, I know that this life is so hard and there's so much suffering, but you will. I pray as our hope and stay this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.